Welcome to Screen Facts with Jason Davis. Hold on to your seats, kids. It's episode 20. 20? Yes, <laughs> episode 20. That's what I said. Joining me once again for this episode is my smoldering wife, Sue. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, baby. Yeah. We are going to talk about a movie that we both first saw when we were kids. Surprise, surprise. It's an 80s movie. (laughs) Shocker. And we hadn't seen for a while. True. And we watched it again in preparation for the podcast. And seeing it as adults was kind of an interesting uh, difference in perspective. Very different and very interesting. And I liked it a lot more this time. Interesting. I did. Okay. The movie we're going to discuss is one of the all-time greats, one of the all-time box office greats, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. E.T. phone home! (laughs) So E.T. originally released June 11th, 1982, directed by Steven Spielberg, one of his biggest movies ever. The film was written by Melissa Matheson, who ended up getting married to Harrison Ford the year after this movie came out. And they were married until 2004, have two kids together. The script actually came together during filming breaks on Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1981. Spielberg and Matheson were working together on story ideas while she was uh, visiting Harrison Ford on the set. And actually, there's an interesting thing about how the screenplay was developed. It wasn't developed in a typical way. Instead of constantly revising individual drafts, Spielberg gave Matheson the general narrative plot for her to round out. She'd go to work for five days straight. Okay. And then she'd go collaborate with him for five days straight. And they did that for eight weeks. And Spielberg later called it the best first draft I've ever read. And that was their shooting script. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Because yeah. most of the time when a film is written, I mean, they go through a ton of rewrites. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, it's very rare that the first draft is even close to what they end up filming. So that's great. That's awesome, isn't very it? Very cool. Yeah. I wonder why they don't do that more often then. I don't know. Hmm. Five days solo, five days... Yeah. Maybe it's just a timing thing. Maybe. Yeah. So the stars of the movie, Dee Wallace plays the mom. And, and I'm saying her first only because I think that's how it was listed in the credits. Henry Thomas, Peter Coyote, Drew Barrymore, a very young Drew Barrymore, six years old when this was shot. Robert McNaughton and C. Thomas Howell in his film debut. Uh, shortly after this, he starred in The Outsiders. Love that movie. It's a good one. This movie, did you know it had an estimated budget of $10.5 million? Well, they needed almost 10% of it just to create the puppets and the related animatronics. Oh, okay. Including a couple of re-releases, it grossed just over $435 million in the U.S. Okay. And just under $793 million worldwide. Yikes. <laughs> That's a lot <laughs> of money. <laughs> yeah. On the all-time domestic gross list, with ticket prices adjusted for inflation, it ranks fourth okay the only movies that are higher than it were gone with the wind Mm -hmm. star wars and Mm -hmm. the sound of music so the movie was filmed from september to december of 1981 they ended up doing some reshoots january to february of 82 good for them for doing it soon before the kids got taller or had different hair or you know yeah they probably just noticed in other movies yeah they probably just had a couple of things that they they wanted to shoot differently for you know coverage or whatever. This movie did uh, pretty well at the Oscars, too. It won Oscars for Best Sound, Best Visual Effects, Best Sound Effects Editing, and for John Williams' brilliant Best Score as well. he's amazing. Uh, I mean, you know, it's amazing how you can watch a scene of a movie, and if you turn the sound off, it's a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. The relationship that Steven Spielberg has had with John Williams during the course of both of their careers 
is outstanding. His scores have really brought Spielberg's movies to a whole other level. Jaws, Raiders of the Lost Ark, this, Jurassic Park. I mean, the list is endless, pretty That's much. Right. So uh, it was nominated for other Oscars as well. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Cinematography, and Best Film Editing. Now, this lost out for Best Picture and Best Director to Gandhi. Oh, wow. I'm bringing that up again only because we mentioned that in the Jurassic Park podcast because right. Steven Spielberg directs the director of Gandhi, Richard Attenborough, in that movie. Wow. It's a small screen facts world. <laughs> sure is. <laughs> It was also nominated for Golden Globes for Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best New Male Star of the Year for Henry Thomas, Mm -hmm. and actually won Golden Globes for Best Score and Best Drama. Cool. It was voted the 20th greatest film of all time by Entertainment Weekly. Okay. It was also ranked number three on the American Film Institute's list of the 10 greatest films in the genre sci-fi in June 2008. And it was ranked number six on the American Film Institute's 100 Most Inspiring Movies of All Time. As I mentioned when we started, we hadn't seen this movie in a while. That's the thing. Movies are great. If you haven't seen them in a while, it's like watching them all over again. It was like, like for the watching it for the first time for me. I really don't me remember too. it. Yeah, I mean, I, I have slight recollection of seeing this as a kid and all the hype and the fact that it took forever for it to come out on home video. And it stands the test of time, too. It does. It really it does. does. It's not cheesy or anything. And the thing that we were talking about when we were watching was just how simple of a movie this really is. Mm-hmm. It's basically Alien comes to Earth with his alien people. <laughs> alien gets left behind. Alien finds boy or vice versa. Alien wants to go home. Boy helps alien go home. And that's basically the whole thing. Yeah. With some jerky uh, adults <laughs> thrown in the mix. Of course. To make it a little complicated. Yeah. Kind of the adults <laughs> who don't know what they're doing. That was the other thing that I didn't remember from the first time watching this movie that you don't actually see an adult's face in this movie besides Elliot's mom. That's right. Until like halfway through the movie. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I felt like I was watching um, a Charlie Brown special. <laughs> exactly. On TV with a wah, 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 wah. That was the only difference. The adults actually did speak normally. That's true. <laughs> you just didn't see them. One of the, the things um, that you had mentioned Let's talk about that, like what it meant to you seeing this again as an adult, how you saw it differently. I know I saw it in the movies. Mm -hmm. I don't remember going to see it. Like I remember going to see a couple other movies when I was a kid. Like Star Wars. Like Star Wars, Escape from Witch Mountain, things like that. (laughs) And I know I didn't watch it on video. So really, this was the first time my seeing it probably since 1982. Wow. Wow, okay. That's... I definitely saw it after the the original theatrical release on home video. It had been quite a while. And and honestly, I couldn't remember anything other than specific the Reese's Pieces and, you know, and when Gertie. Yeah. And when Gertie dresses E.T. in the, uh, you know, the wig and stuff. I was watching the kids instead of as a peer. Mm hmm. As like as if I could be their mother, which I couldn't, you know, if I had kids that age, you know, which made me look at the mother character a lot differently probably than I did the first time, too. I mean, she's really in over her head there. (laughs) She sure is. Because the husband is just left, right? Right. He ran off with somebody. Yeah, with somebody else. And when Elliot mentions it, it just it brings her to tears. Right. You know, still. And, you know, the three kids and she's working. Mm -hmm. And she's got to take care of the house. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at her thinking this poor thing. (laughs) There was one scene in particular that got our attention, and we were both flabbergasted. Yeah. There's a scene in the movie where the principal from the school calls to say, you know, Elliot's in trouble. You got to come get him. And she had just gotten home with Gertie, Drew Barrymore's character, and Drew Barrymore standing in front of the TV, Sesame Street's on. And, and she says, okay, you stay here. I'll be right back. 
Now, this girl is six years six old. Six years old. And I she's leaving. Who, yeah. leaves, who leaves her home alone? Who leaves a six-year-old home alone? You, you don't take your eyes off them for five minutes. That would never happen nowadays. Never. I don't remember ever being left alone at that no. age myself, I it, think. It probably didn't happen then either. Only in the movies, right? Yeah. Did you know that this was originally written by him to be more of um, a story about his own childhood? No, Because his parents got divorced when he was 15. Oh, okay. And it also included the feelings of alienation he had being Jewish in an all-Gentile neighborhood in Arizona. Oh, okay. But he told it from the perspective of the three kids instead of himself. Very interesting. I mean, I did read that that originally it was going to be a much darker film. Right. uh, In the sense that the family was terrorized by aliens instead of it being a friendly alien. Uh, When they decided to go the more family-friendly route, the kind of darker tone was recycled as Poltergeist. Oh, I love that movie. Which, you know, obviously is not Aliens, but it was produced by Steven Spielberg. Yeah, so obviously anytime you have a movie that's driven by a cast of children, Mm -hmm. you never know what to expect. Mm -hmm. You know, it could either be great Mm -hmm. or it could be a little cheesy or... (laughs) In this case, the child actors were just phenomenal. They were really, really great. Well, you... You know, you start with Drew Barrymore, mm-hmm. who's a Barrymore, for gosh sake. She's got acting in her blood. Right. And she was amazing. Well, I think it also helped that Steven Spielberg did tell her that the alien was real. Oh, okay. So that way, later on when they, um, oh, spoiler alert, when they you know do the <laughs> shock to yeah. the heart, yeah. you know, she jumps. And yeah. you see her react, and it's because she really thought they were hurting him. Yeah. And then later on, spoiler alert, when he dies... She's crying full out because she honestly believed that yep. her little alien friend died. Yeah. It's pretty amazing how Spielberg went about shooting this film because he shot it in sequential order. Most of the time when they film movies, they shoot out of sequence. Right. This one, they didn't do that because he wanted to get genuine reactions from the kids mm-hmm. the first time they see E.T. Mm-hmm. And that really was effective. Henry Thomas oh my as gosh, Elliot. Oh, was great. Yeah, at the auditions, he came in and he thought about the day his dog died to express sadness and was hired on the spot. Spielberg was blown away and he hired him on the spot. That's right. They didn't even give him the script to read. They gave him a moment and um, just wanted him to improv. And it was about making the government agent stop taking the alien away. Okay. And... So he there he goes thinking about his dog. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And did you know that Drew Barrymore, <laughs> when she went in for her, her audition, she was the first one cast. Okay. So she went in and she was six and she told Spielberg that she wasn't really an actress at all. <laughs> she said that she was the drummer of a loud and menacing punk rock band called the Purple People Eaters. Interesting. Who painted their faces with makeup for every show and had played to an arena with thousands of people in it the night before. You know, we should talk a little bit about Drew Barrymore. After this movie, she became a superstar. She was the youngest person to ever host Saturday Night Live as a result of this movie. Mm -hmm. But after this, she had a lot of problems. She did. She even had a book out at one point about, you know, because she got heavily involved in drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. Because it was probably just too much too soon Mm -hmm. for for a young kid. Well, that runs in her family also. A lot of the Barrymores had uh, problems like that. The only reason I'm even bringing that up is because she came full circle. You got to tip your hat to somebody who can survive all of that, being a child actor. And and of course now, I mean, she has a a great career as not only an actress, Mm -hmm. but as a producer. Yeah, that's right. I think she's probably even directed at this point Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know... 
Talk Kudos. about wise beyond your years. Yeah. I like Drew Barrymore. Yeah, I do too. I think she's really good. Yeah. And there's only a couple of Adam Sandler movies that I think are really good. Mm-hmm. One of them is The Wedding Singer okay. with her. And she, she and Adam Sandler are really good together. Yeah. They have a great chemistry. They really do. At one point in the filming, Drew Barrymore was having a hard time remembering her lines. Now, she's a pro. Yeah. Even at, even at six, she's a pro. Oh, and you know what? A lot of times, the younger the actor, the better they are. They'll know everybody's lines. That's right, because they're like little sponges. Yeah. Steven Spielberg got a little frustrated, and, and at one point, he even kind of yelled at her a little, because I guess, you know, maybe yeah, they were falling on, behind. Get it together, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, she was crying, and then he found out that she came to work with a really high fever. Oh. And, of course, he felt terrible. Yeah. And he was apologizing profusely, and he was hugging her, and, and he sent her home. <laughs> you know, she got a note from the director. She's excused for more. <laughs> There was uh, one minor thing that the young actors had a little bit of problem with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henry Thomas, Drew Barrymore, and Robert McNaughton thought the E.T. puppet's eyes were too far apart. Uh, they couldn't really look them in the eye when they were acting with it. So, Oh, boy, that's awkward. It's a little weird, right? So <laughs> what they ended up doing was each one selected a single eye to look at. Okay. For each of the scenes okay. instead. Yeah. And that, that ended up working yeah, they out. Yeah, so. they are far apart. I never thought of that. Yeah. So, um, by the way, E.T.'s face was actually modeled after a couple of different things. That's Poet right. Carl Sandburg, mm-hmm. Albert Einstein, and a pug dog. Okay. I also heard that the body and shape of it came from a painting from the Academy of Fine Arts in Bologna titled Women of Delta. This shriveled character with stumpy legs, a long neck, an oblong head, and large eyes. Okay. <laughs> and I actually saw a picture of it online and went, ooh, that's weird. Because it's a woman, but boy, that it's the shape is E.T. Looks like E.T. <laughs> yeah. I also heard that to make the alien seem empathetic, they um, studied photos of elderly people who lived during the Great Depression. Well, how old is E.T. supposed to be? Like 10,000 years old or something? 10 million years old. Oh, yeah. golly. I was off by a Yeah. According zeros. to the film's novelization, he's over 10 million years old. Yeah. So he would have that kind of wise, sage yeah. look, right? By the way, we keep saying he. Spielberg has said that E.T. was a plant-like creature, neither male nor female. So very interesting. I never look closely enough to tell. Uh, well, that's just it. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you can't really have uh, E.T. waddling around with a big schlong hanging out. Oh, brother. <laughs> that wouldn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> that would take it from a, a nice family film to a whole different place. So, Considering how short the legs were, he wouldn't even be able to walk. So. <laughs> He'd have a chafed dick is what he would oh, have. Oh, okay. All right, then. <laughs> so one of the things about Steven Spielberg that I always find very interesting is the way he shoots movies. Jaws, for example, which mm-hmm. uh, we covered several podcasts ago, a that while was back. was a good one. Yes, with Warren Sadowski. Check it out. Yeah. See a little cross-promotion going on mm-hmm. here. One of the things he did in Jaws was he shot at water level right. for most of the movie right. because he wanted the, the viewer to feel like they were kind of in the water and, and mm-hmm. in that kind of vulnerable state. So with E.T., he shot most of the film from the eye level of a child to further connect with Elliot and E.T., which I think is very, very interesting. Yeah, so when you look around the room, you're seeing literally what they say. Exactly. Oh, that's cool. Most of the full-body puppetry Mm -hmm. was performed by a 2-foot, 10-inch tall stuntman. That's right. But the scenes in the kitchen were done using a 10-year-old boy who was born without legs but was an expert on walking on his hands. So that's kind of cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and let's talk about the puppetry for a minute. Nowadays with CGI, I mean, it's certainly a lot easier to do all that. True, you don't even think about it. But I feel like there's something missing. And I wonder if, you know, we're talking about how Spielberg told Drew Barrymore that the alien was real. Mm -hmm. 
and they waited to show the alien to the young mm-hmm. actors until it was time to shoot and all that kind of stuff. Certainly with CGI, they're acting to a tennis ball or something. Right, right. So I wonder if their performances would have been as believable. I don't know. I think the puppetry is just outstanding. It's amazing. It really you know? is. And they also had, um, for anything where you see E.T.'s hands, mm-hmm. they actually hired a professional mime. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, Foley artist John Roche said that he used a wet t-shirt crammed with jello to simulate the noise of E.T.'s waddling walk. Yummy. That's <laughs> just cool. <laughs> and that's the thing. You had to be really creative back then. You did. With how you made things happen on that's film. Right. And I think that's why movies like this really stand the test of time mm-hmm. because of the artistry involved. I mean, you watched E.T. I was watching it going, I really believe that's a real thing. Yeah. Like that alien is so lifelike mm-hmm. and so real. And, I, and, you know, one of the things I pointed out when we were watching, I'm like, look at his face. As if, like, you know, when you raise your eyebrows and stuff, yeah. it's sort of like that. Yeah. And it was just so cool. Yeah. It's like really believable and just mm-hmm. really magical. And it doesn't look cheesy when you watch it now. No, you know, it you're not going, oh, that looks so fake. It's really well done. That's right. And the actors themselves all said that by the time they were in and going, they were full in believing this was a mm-hmm. real character, a real living creature even the adults even the adults and they it was funny because they said they really felt it in the eyes yeah very well done yeah it's really that you got to watch it again if you haven't watched it in a while you got to watch it again because you'll be captivated all over Mm -hmm. again something so let's talk about the candy that they use in the movie which is uh one of the first examples of product placement in a movie oh really well if it wasn't the first it's certainly what made product placement become a big thing in movies wow okay all right so originally they wanted to use m&ms for the uh the pivotal scene where elliot puts the candy out to try and lure et into the house that's right so the producers approached the mars company Mm mm-hmm to see if they could use the M&M's. Mars Company said, well, we'd like to see the script. Okay. And Spielberg said, well, no. (laughs) So Mars said, well, then you know what? No M&M's. So at that point, they went to Hershey's. Okay. And they thought of using Hershey's Kisses. Okay. And the Hershey's Company said, well, don't know so much about the Kisses, but we have this new product, and it's called Reese's Pieces. Mm -hmm. You could use that if you want, because we're just getting it going, and, you know, we're hoping that the sales will take off. Right, they think it's a win-win. And the sales did take off, because within two weeks of that movie being out, Mm -hmm. Reese's Pieces sales up 65%. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that's why product placement became a big thing in movies. That's because right. Especially a movie like this that's such a huge movie. You got to think that the guys from uh, the Mars company that denied Spielberg the permission had their asses handed to them. <laughs> I mean, Probably. what a blunder that is. That's right. Your product I mean, placement really did become a big thing. And then even later on in the movies, it started. people started to make fun of product placement right. in movies. Like in Wayne's World. Right, and like thing. holding up the can. Yeah, exactly. Soda right to the, <laughs> the camera. That M&M story is pretty well documented. Mm-hmm. But there's another sort of blunder that happened with this movie. The script was being developed at Columbia Pictures mm-hmm. around the same time that another alien movie was being developed. Columbia didn't want to make both. So the head of the studio had to choose which film to make. He chose Starman. Wah, wah. <laughs> I know what you're thinking right now. What? What's Starman? It was released 1984. E.T. went to Universal Pictures. Obviously, the rest is history. Maybe when they had the script in front of them or a version of the script in front of them at Columbia Pictures, it wasn't quite as good as what it ended up being. Maybe. Who knows? But Columbia Pictures <laughs> had to be bummed about that. <laughs> For sure. They could go out with the people from Mars and go commiserate. Yeah, exactly. The Mars company. They can can cry in a bowl of M&Ms together. That's right. (laughs) So the scene later on in the movie when E.T. is sick 
and he's being worked on by all the doctors and nurses. Those are actually real emergency room technicians. Uh, they were told to treat E.T. the same way they would treat a human patient so that the dialogue and the actions would seem real. Yeah, they did a great job because it's mm. so hectic and yeah, exactly. chaotic and people are talking over each other. And... Yep. and they're saying all kinds of medical jargon, which obviously an actor can learn all that, but it's way more authentic to have real doctors and Absolutely. nurses. Absolutely, yeah. It's pretty cool. Didn't Spielberg ask a doctor of his if he would do it and then, you know, gee, do you have any friends who would want to? Yeah, So, and who's not going to want to be in a major motion picture, right? I know. It's pretty cool. So uh, at one point in the movie, there's a scene where the mom is reading Gertie a story before bed. And it's funny because like Elliot and E.T. are kind of watching through the closet door. But um, she's reading Gertie Peter Pan. That's right. And 10 years later, Steven Spielberg directed Hook. So one of the great things about that scene is that it just kind of ties into what's really the theme of the whole movie. And that's love. The love that Elliot and E.T. share. Mm Mm-hmm. There's not even a metaphoric connection between the two characters. It's real. It's, I mean, they're, right. they're connected. Literal. Yeah, it's literal. Especially that school scene with the frogs and the whole thing. Right. You know, there's a real bond between them. And even though Elliot and his older brother fight and they, you know, he calls him penis breath and all that kind of stuff. Oh, he's very protective. And he's the one who goes out to find DT. Yeah. They keep the secret together, which yeah, is a yeah, huge deal. Absolutely. If a boy on the planet Earth and mm-hmm. an alien from how many millions of light years away can form a friendship and love each other, then why can't the rest of us? Yeah. Without getting too philosophical, if you look around at the world we live in these days, it's very cynical. Everybody's hating everybody else and everybody's kind of, you know, my beliefs don't allow me to accept blah, blah, blah. I wonder if a movie like this could even get made nowadays. You know, I wonder. Or if people would just say... Oh, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That could never happen. I think what we're trying to say is we can learn a lot from E.T. and Elliot as as a society. You know, it sounds silly, but it's true. Yeah. It's a simple love story. Yeah. I mean, if you form a bond with somebody, that that happens for a reason. Yeah. You know, and it's not right or wrong. You love who you love. Yeah, exactly. So equal rights, folks. (laughs) That's really what we're getting at here. I know we're beating around the bush. (laughs) The idea of somebody hiding behind their religious beliefs while spreading hatred and prejudice is unbelievable to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw a tweet the other day. I can't remember who tweeted it, but it was something to the effect of, you know, I just want Jesus to come back and clear up a few things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, you know, you know me, I'm not a Christian. I'm not religious. Uh, I consider myself to be spiritual, I guess, in the sense that I do believe in something bigger than me. However, I don't think it's a he or a she. Interesting. E.T. wasn't a he or a she either. Aha! Everybody can believe what they want to believe, exactly. but but I would never force my beliefs on somebody else. Right, right. And, and, and I don't I, want somebody else's beliefs shoved in my face. Exactly. I'm not going to disrespect you, and no. I'm not going to think, you know, what you believe is wrong. Let's, Let's get off our soapbox, honey. Okay. I'm stepping down from my soapbox now, and we're going to get back into the movie. So, okay. some interesting casting notes for E.T. Harrison Ford was initially intended to have a cameo as Elliot's school headmaster, but the scene was cut out. Corey Feldman was originally scheduled for a role in E.T. as well, but over the course of uh, the script rewrite, his part was eliminated. Steven Spielberg felt bad about the decision and promised Feldman a part in his next planned production, which turned out to be 1984's Gremlins. It's interesting because, again, going back to the Jurassic Park podcast really quick, we talked about how the boy that was in that movie had auditioned for Hook. Hook. Oh, that's right. See, it's, that ties into this a little bit, wow. too. And he didn't get the part. But again, Spielberg and said, oh, I got I something, something else that, that you'll be good yeah, for. And he ended right. up being in one of the biggest movies ever, nice. Jurassic Park. And Juliette Lewis auditioned for the role of Gertie, but apparently her uh, father made her turn down the part. 
Yeah, Dad, that's a shame. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And Sarah Michelle Gellar also auditioned for the role. Two of the child actors that were in the movie ended up posing for Playboy as adults. Erica Alaniak, the girl that Elliot kisses in class, posed in July of 1989, and Drew Barrymore did a spread in January of 1995. Alaniak also starred in Under Siege with Steven Seagal and was on Baywatch, so she went on to have some pretty good success uh, in some movies and TV. Dee Wallace's role of Mary, the children's mother, was first offered to Shelley Long. Uh-huh. But she had to decline because she had already signed on for the Ron Howard film, Night Shift. Oh, Night Shift. Uh, I wonder where you could find out some cool stuff about Night Shift. I wonder. I think you could check out the Screen Facts with Jason Davis podcast with Brian Blaze Berkowitz. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> so Deborah Winger uh, not only provided the temp voice for E.T., but also played one of the ghouls in the Halloween sequence. Now, she's wearing a monster mask and a lab coat and carries a poodle. By the way, in the same Halloween scene, E.T. sees a child in a Yoda costume, which is a great little uh, nod Mm -hmm. to uh, George Lucas, buddy of Steven Spielberg's. And it seems like he's recognizing him, right? Yeah. Well, in Star Wars Episode One, years later, in 1999, in the Galactic Senate scene, where all the senators are on their feet shouting, you can see in the lower right-hand corner the E.T. species among the Senate pods. That's right. I remember seeing them and thinking, what the heck is E.T. doing there? It's uh, Spielberg Lucas world. We just live in it, folks. That's (laughs) right. E.T.'s voice was mainly provided by Pat Welsh, an elderly woman who lived in Marin County, California. Okay. She smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. So that gave her voice a quality that the sound effects creator Ben Burt liked. Okay. One of those, you know, how you doing kind of voices. Yeah. So she spent nine and a half hours recording her part and was paid $380 for her services. Wow. Wow. I wonder how many cigarettes she bought with that. (laughs) Back then, probably quite a few, but... You think about how much money this movie made? $380? It's nothing, exactly. It's my point. Oh my gosh. Bert also recorded 16 other people and various animals to create E.T.'s voice. Okay. Now these included Spielberg, Uh Deborah Winger, Bert's sleeping wife who had a cold, Okay. as well as raccoons, sea otters, and horses. Interesting. Steven Spielberg had personally screened this movie at the White House for President and First Lady Reagan, a king had something to do with this movie, too. Really? Which king is that? The king of pop. Oh! Michael Jackson was uh, <laughs> was approached by Steven Spielberg, Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones, uh, to contribute a song to the E.T. Extraterrestrial Storybook album. The song was called Somewhere in the Dark. Spielberg liked it so much, he asked him to do a whole album, which was a huge task. But they said, oh, yeah, we can whip something up for you. So they did it, right? <laughs> And then they put out a box set, which had an LP, a book to read along with it, a poster of E.T. with Michael Jackson, and some other stuff. Quincy Jones said that he and Michael Jackson didn't receive dime one for doing this project, if you can imagine that. The audiobook ended up earning Michael Jackson a Grammy Award, though, in 1984, and it was one of eight awards that he won that night after getting 12 nominations. He said of all the awards that he had gotten that night, he was most proud of this one. Well, and you know what? Before right now, I never knew that. I forgot all about that project. Michael Jackson, by the way, owned one of the E.T. puppets. Oh, how cool. That's, that's got to be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So um, the other thing, too, when this film came out on video, it took forever for it to come out. I mean, the movie was released originally, as I said, in 1982, and it was a while before they released this on video. And I don't know why, but when it was finally released on video in the U.S., the cassettes were made from green plastic to thwart video pirates, and they ended up selling 15 million copies. And I remember that it was one of the first videos to be released 
that was priced to own. Back then, you know, people rented. They didn't buy videos. But E.T. came out and they, you know, they made it, whatever, 15, 20 bucks so people can buy it for people for Christmas. I didn't even think about the fact that you didn't yeah. own them back then. You had them out for a couple of days. You brought them back. Yeah. Videotapes cost a lot of money back yeah. then. Maybe the movie industry wanted to encourage renting for whatever Maybe. reason. So any other thoughts about the movie? When I watched it this time, you know, I kind of thought, I guess I'll be seeing it from the mom's point of view, but really the way it's made, it really gets you into the kid's point of view, mm -hmm. no matter what your age. Yeah. I think it would be interesting to see how kids nowadays that are exposed to so much information and so many different things with the internet and this and that, if they would really relate to this movie the same way we did when we were I kids. I wonder, yeah. I yeah. mean, there's something so endearing about him. I, You know, and even when we were first starting to talk about, you know, should we do E.T., I kind of went, mm, you know... <laughs> I haven't seen it since it was out in the movies. I don't know. Yeah. And I'm so glad we watched it again. Yeah, me too. It's you great. Know? And it's just such a simple theme. Yep. You know, turn on your heart light. And if you're thinking, oh, it's just too sentimental, so what? Yeah. We need more of that in this world. That's right. Hey, if you have any thoughts or screen facts of your own about E.T., you want to join the conversation, please email me, screenfacts at yahoo.com. You can also tweet me at Jason Davis Voice, or you can find me on Facebook Facebook.com slash Jason Davis voiceover. Also, please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes. And please help spread the word about the podcast. Tell your family and friends. Share links on your social media outlets. Send an email. Whatever you got to do, help us get the word out. We really, really appreciate your help. And you can also go to my website, jasondavisvoice.com slash podcast. You can get info about uh, all the different places that you can listen to this. In addition to iTunes, there's other outlets where you can get it if it's easier for you that way. And there's a redesigned, new and improved Screen Facts t-shirt. It's really cool. If you want to uh, support the podcast by buying one of those shirts and wearing it and so people will look at you and go, what is that all about? And then you could tell them how much fun you have listening to us talk about movies. Honey, thank you so much for doing this with me. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me back. Always fun to do this with you. You're my favorite. Aw, I'm not just saying that because you're my wife. But Aww. yeah, it's always a pleasure doing this with you. Aww. So we'll have to think of what we're going to do next. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us. And please come back again next Wednesday for more Screen Facts with Jason Davis. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.